We are in a passage of scripture in which Jesus is preparing his disciples as he sends them out for the first time on their own to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus prepares them, we noted that he gave them great authority, shared with him them his own power and authority to heal diseases, to cast out demons. While they may have been in a euphoria over this newfound power and success that they were going to be able to enjoy, he brings them down to earth by talking about persecution that they were going to suffer. So Jesus taught them about suffering. Last week we noted that Jesus taught them the source of persecution and suffering. We will suffer at the hands of religious authorities. We will suffer at the hands of civil authorities. And we'll suffer even at the hands of family members and friends. Brothers will deliver brother over to death. The father is child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And then it says we suffer at the hands of all kinds of people. Jesus taught them that the reason for that suffering was, it was in fact that they were persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The response to that persecution, they should not be surprised by it. They should seek to flee from it. But they were not to flee it at any expense. They were to flee it as far as to go from one city to another. But they were not to flee it by failing to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. One might readily think that as we contemplate the inevitability, and yes, that's what it is, the inevitability of persecution, that it would create fear or terror in our hearts. After all, who wants to go through persecution? And we think about our poor brothers and sisters around the world in which there are people at this very moment that are dying for their faith. People who are sitting in prison because they have named the name of Jesus. And it might just create incredible fear in our hearts to think that that could be us. That might be something that I'm going to have to face. That might be something that would come to America. Jesus taught that the proper response was not to be surprised by it, to try to flee it if we could, but that fleeing did not include distancing ourselves from him. But then what he emphasized was that our response should not be to fear it. There are three times in our passage 
that we are given the admonition not to fear. Verse 26. So, have no fear of them. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body. And then verse 31. Fear not. One doesn't have to be an incredible Bible scholar to see that this passage is about not fearing persecution. Three admonitions not to fear. And the reasons given as to why we aren't to fear. So our theme this morning is three reasons why we are not to fear persecution. First, we are not to fear persecution because the gospel witness cannot be silenced. We're not to fear persecution because the gospel witness cannot be silenced. Here the fear is not a personal fear. Here's not a fear of what might happen to us, but rather a fear for the cause of Christ. What does it mean that this world is filled with persecution? What does it mean that this world is filled with opposition? Humans that want to stomp out any kind of religious manifestation of the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But worse, what about demons, principalities, powers, mights, dominions that want nothing more than to silence the gospel witness? Well, it begins by teaching us that we are not to fear that the persecutors are going to win the day. That they are somehow going to be able to eradicate this world of Christians and their testimony. Not all will welcome the gospel. Some will actively oppose it. They will seek to silence the apostles and others. And there are people today that are seeking to silence Christians in expressing their faith. They will not win. They will not conquer. For each of these points, I'm going to illustrate them from an account of what took place in the lives of the apostle. That we might see this lived out. The instruction that Jesus gave. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. And then once you get there, you can keep your finger or put your bulletin in there because we're going to come back to uh, more of Acts. Acts chapter 4. The apostles are sharing the gospel It's having a remarkable influence, and the Jewish leaders are envious. Acts chapter 4, verse 16. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now notice verse 17. But in order that 
it may not spread any further among the people. In order that it will not spread, in order to keep this under control, in order to silence the apostles, let us warn them. Let us threaten them. Let us charge them not to teach anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the express purpose, to silence them. However, the gospel witness will not be silenced. Turn back to Matthew 10, 26. So have no fear of them. Why? For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. That which Jesus was whispering into the ears of the apostles was going to be shouted from the housetops. That which Jesus was revealing to a few was going to be made known around the world. That which seemed to be taking place in obscurity would come to be obvious to all mankind. This gospel witness would not be silenced. God's truth will be made known. Persecution will not stop the spread of the gospel. Persecutors are not winning the day. Back to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 17. But the high priest and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one outside, inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple 
teaching the people. What these Jewish leaders sought to do by putting them in prison could not be done because of the power of God. God is going to win the day. Last week, I took time, if you remember, to demonstrate how persecution actually spreads the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was because of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem that disciples moved out of Jerusalem and into Antioch and other places, and the gospel spread. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, they are concerned. They have heard that Paul is in prison for his faith. And he begins by saying, I want you to understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Up front, before Paul talks about himself, he talks about the gospel. And he says, I want you to understand that what has happened to me hasn't thwarted the gospel, it has advanced the gospel. They were afraid. Here was the great Christian leader. Here was the most powerful missionary that had ever lived. Here was the one apostle that it seemed as though all of the Christian hope was placed upon his shoulders, and now he is in prison. What is this going to mean for the gospel? What is this going to mean for the spread of Christianity? What is this going to mean for making God's truth known? Paul says, I want you to understand this has happened unto me under the furtherance of the gospel. How? He gives two ways. Number one, he says as a result of this, he says that the gospel has been presented to the Praetorian Guard. That people that Paul would never have an opportunity to reach, he's now reaching. People in high places, governmental officials, he's able now to give his testimony before them. And then he says, and others have been emboldened to preach because of my chains. Now others, because of my very imprisonment, are now speaking the truth of the gospel. So don't fear that the persecutors are winning the day. For God is going to make his truth known. And persecution actually spreads the gospel, does not deter the gospel. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Number two, we're not to fear persecution personally because we are not to fear our persecutors but rather fear God. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst that a person can do to us is take our life. 
Well, that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? They can take our life. What could be worse than that? If they could take our soul. But they can't. The worst that they can do is take our life. They can't take our soul. They cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. They cannot bring about our damnation or destruction. People, every single one of us is going to die. Come to grips with it. Come to the reality of it. You're going to die of something. What better reason to die than to die for our faith? It isn't as though the choice is between life and death. We're all dying. The choice is in the purpose of our death, in the significance of our death, in the power of our death, the witness of our death. We need to prize eternal life. We tend to prize physical life. There is an incident that happened in church history that for many is very difficult to understand because of the day and age in which we live. In the time of John Calvin, there was a heretic by the name of Servetus. Servetus was a man, a very learned man, a very influential man, who denied the Trinity. and wrote volumes. This man was determined to be a heretic and was sentenced to death by the Catholic Church. Servetus had written a lot of letters to John Calvin and they had a correspondence back and forth. Of course, John Calvin found great fault with Servetus. Servetus escaped and was fleeing because of this death sentence he was under. He wrote to John Calvin. Calvin warned him and said, Don't come to Geneva. You are not welcome. Well, Lo and behold, he comes to Geneva. And the elders and the leaders of Geneva, with the counsel of John Calvin, of course, also tried Servetus, also found him to be a heretic, and also condemned him to death. And he was killed. In asking John Calvin the question, 
How could he condone the death of this man? John Calvin said this. If we take the life of a man that merely takes the physical life of another, how much more should we take the physical life of man who takes the soul of another? John Calvin said it was worse to rob a man of his spiritual life than it was to rob a man of his physical life. We don't get that today. That seems absurd to us today. We place so much value on a physical life and so little value on a spiritual life. But God places the value in the right way. God says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear men, fear God. These persecutors were seeking to instill fear (coughs) into the apostles. These persecutors should have feared for their own lives. Turn with me again to Acts chapter 5. This time, verse 26. Acts 5, 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We must obey God rather than man. That's the essence of this truth. Don't fear displeasing man. Fear displeasing God. Thirdly, we are not to fear persecution Because God cares for us. God watches over us. A lesson from the sparrows. Back to Matthew chapter 10. To what degree does God care about the life of a sparrow? Answer, the death of even one sparrow does not escape God's notice. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And now these words. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not one of them dies 
apart from God's knowledge. A sparrow. Not one passes without God being aware of it. But not only is God aware of it, God is in control of it. Not one falls apart from God. When a sparrow dies, it's the sparrow's time to die. When a sparrow dies, it's at the will of God, the creator and sustainer of life, the creator and sustainer of all life. So, what does God's care of the sparrow teach us about God's care for us? Verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. It does not escape God's notice when a single hair of ours is lost. You know, escape my own notice. I'm losing my hair. You know, like this kind of happened one day. I just kind of woke up and said, wow, you're getting bald. I wasn't always bald. I am now. I didn't think much of it where one or two hairs started falling out. Now that I only have a few left on top, uh, now I'm beginning to number them. They're becoming more precious to me than they were. Scripture says, I didn't lose a single hair without God taking notice. There's not one thing that happens in your life that God doesn't know about and that God doesn't oversee. From our uprising to our down-sitting, the scripture says, you are with me. Not one single instance in life escapes the notice of God. Every single person that is persecuted this day, God is aware of. God knows. God was aware when the knock came on the door. God was aware when the thought thought came into the heart of the man that was going to do the persecution. God was aware of it all. And he's in control of it all. No one can do anything that God does not allow. So the real question is this morning is how real or how great is God's concern? So we ask the question, how deeply concerned is God about the hair on our head or about our physical life? 
Well, let's look at a sparrow. Two sparrows are purchased for a penny. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It was the cheapest offering that you could give in the New Testament era, was to offer a sparrow. You could buy two for a penny. And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from God. What everybody else places little value on. Human beings say, ah, they're worth a penny for two of them. But to God, not one of them dies that escapes his notice. They are important to God. How important are you to God? How do you value your worth to God? What is your life worth? What would God be willing to pay for you? Answer, his son. He gave his son for us so that we might live. Romans 5.1, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that we might live. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died to give us physical and spiritual life. We will rise again. And we'll be with him forever and ever. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Starting with verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he gave us his son for us, isn't he going to watch over us? Isn't he going to care for us? Isn't he going to love us? Verse 33 and following. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to take us out of God's hand? Who is going to remove us? What power? What government? What opposition? Is going to overcome the work of God? Notice verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress Next word, or persecution, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Never, ever question God's love for you because of what you're going through. Never, ever doubt his care, his provision. Persecution is not a sign that God is indifferent towards us. Persecution is actually a sign of our relationship to God, positively. Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Suffering for God is to be viewed as a privilege. Back to Acts chapter 5. Let's see how this story ends. Acts chapter 5. Now to verse 40. Actually, pick it up in the middle of verse 39. Acts chapter 5, middle verse 39. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, look at this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of the Lord Jesus. They rejoiced that they were worthy. They rejoiced that they had the privilege of identifying with Jesus Christ and that they so identified with him that they received the opposition that Christ receives. They rejoiced that they were a part of the people of God And it was so obvious that they were a part of the people of God that they were being persecuted. It was so apparent of God's work in their life. It was so undeniable that these people wanted to silence them. They wanted to quiet them. They wanted to remove their influence. It was so obvious to all of Paul's sincerity and dedication a commitment to the things of God. He rejoiced in his testimony. He rejoiced in his relationship with God. He rejoiced in what God had done in his life and bring him into relationship with himself. It's a blessing when people understand and believe 
our commitment to Jesus Christ when it's actually scary to them. And they're afraid of our influence and want to persecute us. Just a thought. Could it be that one of the reasons that we aren't persecuted in the United States is because people don't fear our witness? People aren't afraid of our influence? That they don't see us as a threat? Positively speaking, there is becoming such a difference in our society that the, Christ, the Christian is almost forced to speak out and people are starting to be afraid. They're afraid of laws that Christians may pass. They're afraid of intolerance. They're afraid of so many, many things. But what they're ultimately afraid of is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say to me, what does this have to do with communion? We're about to celebrate communion. As you partake of communion this morning, let us reflect on the purpose of communion. It is to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, by taking communion, are publicly saying this morning that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are trusting in his death and resurrection. You are trusting in his body hanging on a tree, his blood shed for your sin, his being placed in a tomb, his resurrection, his ascension in heaven. You are trusting in that for your eternal life. And you are publicly identifying with Jesus. The purpose of communion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. You proclaim, you demonstrate the Lord's death till he comes. As often as you take communion, we are proclaiming the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. That's why we do it corporately. It's a teaching method even for our children as they sit and watch and ask you to go home and say, what was that all about? Every one of us this morning that takes communion is identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. Someday, that might cost us something. Someday, we may experience opposition. Someday, to take communion may mean going to prison. Someday, taking communion, identifying with Jesus Christ, might be sacrificing your life. We're doing a solemn thing this morning. identifying with Jesus. As we do so, let's rejoice in the privilege of who we have. Let us thank, be thankful for the freedom that we enjoy. Let's also rededicate ourselves anew. And as we think about this, 
And if you think about persecution, don't let it keep you awake at night. Don't be afraid of it. Because the persecutors won't win. We know the end of the story. Jesus was going to put down all rebellion, all opposition. Christianity is going to spread. It's not going to be stamped out. We are not to fear because all that mankind can do to us is take our life. They can't take our soul. And with our soul, ultimately comes eternal life. It comes a resurrection. We have bodily life again. We have physical life. We have spiritual life. We're with him for all eternity. Those that oppose us at some point are going to lose their physical life as well. But they're also going to lose their eternal life. They're going to be in hell forever and ever. We should not glory in that. We should be grieved by that. And we should not fear God's love and care and concern for us. He may well spare us. He may well protect us. But people, he will help us. Fox's Book of Martyrs. People who died for their faith as they went up in flames. Singing hymns of praise to God. How does that happen? People, it's the grace of God. The strength is not in us. It's in him. Peter denied his Lord three times. When he was being persecuted, the church gathered together and they prayed for boldness. And the place where they were praying was shaken. And they were granted boldness. And Peter ultimately dies for his faith. But he dies on a crucifix upside down because he said he was not worthy to, be do- to die in the same way as his Lord. People, God is greater than anything we can ever face. God will give us grace for whatever we are going to have to face. Don't Worry about it. God will give you ability that doesn't reside in you or me. Don't say to yourself, could I do this? The answer is no, you can't. God can. Just develop your relationship to the Lord. And don't worry about these things. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with them freely give us all things? Let us with joy this morning identify with the Lord Jesus in the partaking of communion. Brethren, if you would come forward at this time.